Welcome to the AMC Theater that still says Carmichael on the outside of the building. Welcome to Venture Church. Man, what a journey we've been on this summer, right? Uh, it's just been crazy. Back in May, we found out uh, that we, we wouldn't be able to renew our, our, uh, our lease at the place we were at over at Alderman Elementary School, and then we just began this, this chase and figure out what does God want us to do, and uh, he's landed us here, and I think it's great. I've been down to visit your kids down in the kids' area this morning, and they're loving it. Uh, most of them are really confused because they thought they were here to see a movie, but they're getting, they're getting it figured out, um, and uh, it's, just, it's just great to be here in this community. I, I do want to clarify a couple of things about the video you just watched. First of all, I've never seen seen my face so big, and I apologize. Um, secondly, uh, we weren't exactly sure how things were going to lay out this morning. We said there, there's a table at the back of the room. There's, don't go back there. There's nothing back there. The connection hub is out this door and to your left, so you can find out more information about lots of things at Venture Church. It's at that table there. The second thing, they said there was going to be an envelope and a card about the back-to-school bash. Uh, that is obviously not in your seats, and so uh, there'll be more stuff coming up about that next week. Just remember that it is August 26th is when we're having that. So, uh, man, let's get rolling this morning. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would consider yourself rule followers? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. Some of you are like, yeah, see, the rule followers are going to raise their hand. (laughs) Yes, have no choice. The rest of you aren't. The rest of us are not rule followers. I think the whole world could be divided into like two categories, rule followers and rule benders. And this is the point where a lot of husbands and wives are getting a lot of elbow jab going on because like in my family, we got one of each. We got a rule follower. We got a rule bender. Me, if you know me much, you probably could guess which one I am. Like, I don't like rules. I don't like people with demand trying to hold me down. Like, I'm not, trying, I'm not about that life. I prefer to lo- know as few of the rules and regulations as possible. I, prefer, I don't read signs. I'm not good at it. I'm just like, what, what's, oh, there's a sign. I just don't see them. It's just not part of how my brain operates. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, oh, I got to say this. So, so in turn, in, in, in turn I, I decide to live another way. I live through what I like to call common sense. I don't think there needs to be rules about everything. I think you can just... Figure out what's best. However, if you live by the don't follow rules, don't read sign mantra, you've got to be willing to occasionally like walk into the women's bathroom accidentally or stuff like that. That's happened to me, right? On the other hand, my wife, uh, she's the exact opposite. She does have plenty of common sense. I've been blessed with a wife with lots of common sense, but she also loves the rules. She loves them. She loves to read the signs. She loves to know what the, like, what's the line and how far can I stay from it. That's my wife, and that's what keeps me safe in life. Uh, we do this thing when we check into a hotel room. I say, we, it's really her. Uh, did you know that when you get into a hotel room, you ever notice there's like a little work desk in case you came to be um, a millionaire and make money while you're at a hotel? Um, I'm not that guy. But you're doing your work there. You ever notice there's a little three-ring binder that's there? And, and if you pull that out, it is full of all the rules and regulations and stipulations and evacuation plans and policies and procedures for that hotel. Did you know that? My wife does. Every time we get into a hotel room, man, she cracks that book open and she's just like, did you know that on Tuesday nights I have bingo in the lobby? I'm like, I didn't know. So we, we make a great team, uh, my wife and I, uh, because like I'll do something like park in a no parking zone and she'll be like, Chris, you're parked in a no parking zone. So I'll move and avoid a ticket. The rules are interesting things because there are rules that are obviously very necessary. And then there's other rules you're like, mm, wow, I'm not sure if we need that specific sign. And it goes back and forth. When you think about rules, I think about, for me, in growing up, and it might be your experience too, that when you think about God or church or Christianity, one of the first thoughts that come to a lot of people's mind is rules. 
rules. It's like the idea of, uh, you know, on the one hand, you know, I don't know if I can get involved in church or be a Christian or whatever because, like, I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this. Or maybe the idea that it's kind of demanding. And so if I'm going to be a part of church, if I'm going to, like, live for God, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And this kind of the, the idea. And unfortunately, uh, there's a negative connotation when it comes to God and rules. And so as we get going today, I just got a basic general question. And the question is, does God have rules? The answer is, yes, he does. In fact, he has very specific standards and, and things that he would like us to live by. Some of his rules are even called commandments. And so it's pretty imperative that we know what they are. But unlike some of the rules that we look at, and we're like, that's kind of dumb. Like, that shouldn't be a rule. There shouldn't be a sign there. The thing that I think is important for us to understand about God's rules is that God's rules are never in turn intended to, to hurt us, uh, to, to hold us down, uh, to keep us uh, from being free. On the other hand, God's rules exist to keep us safe and to protect us and to guide us and to provide us with the life that he created us for. And so that's why God has rules and regulations. And so I talk about all these rules things because we're in this week five of this Moses series where we've been going through the life of this guy, Moses, and we're getting into a section where God starts to kind of lay down the rules. Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Today, we're landing in the Ten Commandments. We're going to break down some of those things and figure out what they're all about. How can it apply to the life that we live today? And most importantly, how do we do what this series kind of implies? It's called Moses, a God Chaser Story. How do we become better God chasers? Uh, to catch you up, uh, as a church, um, we have a three-part goal. And we talk about it as often as we can remember. But our three-part goal, if you know it, help me out so I don't mess it up. This is what our goal is. We want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And the idea of being a God-chasing, grace-shaped love agent is that's like a full picture of what it means to follow Jesus and know what it means uh, to live the life that he's created us for. So every year we do these uh, series that are just God-chaser series. And we take the look uh, at a life uh, from someone from the Bible, someone like Moses, who is definitely a God-chaser. What can we learn from them to better love God. Now, here, here's kind of a definition for being a God chaser. If uh, It's kind of a phrase we made up, but this is the definition that we've been using for this series to explain it. Here's what a God chaser is. A God chaser is being fully devoted to being, bringing glory to God with your life. That's what it means to be a God chaser. Fully devoted. Now, we recognize there's like ebbs and flows with that. There's ups and downs. There's a roller coaster. We're not perfect at it. And so that's why I love looking at the life of Moses and pretty much everyone from the Bible because they weren't perfect at it. They had doubts, they had fears, they had, you know, uh, they had uh, just objections to the things that God wanted them to do. But God said, listen, I still have a plan for your life. This is what I want you to do. Being fully devoted to bringing glory to God with your life. And so if you've missed any of the last four weeks or maybe it's been a long time and you just can't remember, I want to do a quick recap of where we've been over the last four weeks. I'm just going to throw them all up on the screen real quick. But in the first week, uh, what we saw was this. We saw that Moses' life had been a roller coaster. It really had. It had been going up and down. He was, we saw him from birth all the way till he was like in his 40s, and he had done some good things. He had done some bad things. And after he had done a really bad thing, he actually killed a guy. We see this, that Moses ran from his problems, but he learned that God is bigger than any of his problems. And this week, we saw that Moses went from being uh, kind of someone who was running from God to someone who began to chase God. In the second week, we fast forward a little bit, and God kind of shows up to Moses and says, I got a plan for your life. You know, I want, I want to do something with you specific. That thing was, I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to free the Israelites who were in slavery to the Egyptians. And I have a plan for those people. And Moses said, I, I'm not prepared. 
I can't handle this. Like, send someone else. I don't want to do it. And what we learned is this phrase, God's basically like, look, I don't need your ability. What I need is your availability. You might not have the skills that you need. You might not even have the courage that you need, but are you willing? And so that's what we learned from Moses, and he did, and he followed through. In week three, uh, Patrick Harrison preached, did a great job. I enjoyed listening to his sermon uh, on the podcast. Uh, and, and we learned this, that as the, the camera shifted from focusing on Moses to then focusing on these Israelites who have just been freed from slavery, or were in the process of being freed from slavery. And Patrick laid out this idea that these people were stuck. They were stuck in their circumstances, just like many times we are. And then God showed up with immense power, and he was able to get them unstuck. And then the fourth week, this was last week, might be a little more fresh on your memory. Last week, we saw the same group of people, the Israelites, and they, they had left their slavery now. They're kind of walking out into a, literally kind of a barren wasteland and trying to find a place to set up camp and call home. And they start to go on this roller coaster ride where God provides for them. They trust God. They praise God. But then things get tough again, so they start to whine and cry again. And, and they forget what God had just done for them. And the cycle goes over and over. And so we learned that we've got to remember what God's done done for us, and maybe you don't feel like God's done much for you, but he has done for stuff for other people, so maybe we can just look at what God has done for other people, see his track record, and by seeing God's track record, we can trust him with our future. So we're following this guy, Moses, and as we land in this week's uh, lesson, we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 20. So if you've got a Bible, go and flip over there. One great thing about this space is we've got lighting, and you can actually read your Bibles in here. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got free ones. They should be scattered fairly well underneath the seats there, so you might have to look one or two seats over. But feel free to grab one or look one up on your phone and flip to Exodus chapter 20, because that's where we're going to be picking up today. Exodus chapter 20. I want to burn this into our minds, okay? In Exodus chapter 20, that's where we find the Ten Commandments, okay? So I'm going to keep saying 20, 20, 20 because I want you to remember that's where the Ten Commandments are. But we're actually going to rewind just a touch and pick up the end of chapter 19 to see what has brought us here. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, and it is uh, the story of the Israelites as they do this journey, you know, through the wilderness, and they find their place in this world. They're free from their slavery uh, to the Egyptians. And as we see them move throughout the book, we're going to find how God shows up and establishes them as a nation. And God leads them to this mountain called Mount Sinai. And when we pick them up at the very end, the tail end of Exodus 19, chapter 17, chapter 19, verse 17, we're going to find Moses and the nation of Israel, which uh, if you remember, we've said, we've estimated it has been about over a million people, okay? They are just completely surrounding this huge mountain. And this atmosphere is electric as God is about to establish them as a nation and give them kind of their foundational rules. So this is what it says in Exodus chapter 19 through 17. Take this in. This is going to set the scene. It says, Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. So God's presence is on this mountain. I think it's fitting that we're in a movie theater because if you think about modern movies and how well computer graphics have uh, been able to kind of recreate some epic moments in history, I just don't think that CG could do justice to this moment. 
We've got the presence of God coming down on this mountain. And it says it's like it's on fire and there's smoke. And it's, it's like, like an earthquake. It says that the mountain trembled violently. There's this sound. They describe it like a trumpet. I don't know if there actually was like a trumpet or if it was just like this sound, like a wah. And they just couldn't even process it with their ears. And so that's how they described it. I don't know. And I just want you to picture this moment because picture the babies. You been to fireworks with the babies? Yeah, and they're crying. And picture the, the older people who are like, oh, goodness, this isn't good. Um, I don't even know what that is, and I'm terrified. And people who have been through storms and people who have been through you know, major events and just seeing this right in front of their eyes. And God tells them, Moses tells them, this is the presence of God, the God of your ancestors, the God who just delivered you from Egypt weeks ago. This is him. He's right there. God's presence is resting on the mountain. Then he speaks to the people. Now, a quick plug here. Uh, if you didn't grow up in church, first of all, I'm really glad that you're here and that you're giving church a try. Uh, and I hope this is something that's kind of gives you, fills you in on like a major thing, the Ten Commandments that you might hear about all the time. But if you did grow up in church, I did. And I have this image of this scene right here that kind of got um, confused for me this week as I really studied into this passage. I always pictured that like God, like, calls up Moses, and Moses goes up into this cloud, and then God just tells him the Ten Commandments. It's like God, and it's Moses, and maybe down on the ground, there's just like this, like rumbling, and maybe they can't really decipher what it is, but as you actually read it, God first, and Moses does go up to the mountain later, and he does have a lot of conversation with God, but in this first instance, it looks like God actually speaks to the people, all of them, so much so that at the end of this account, they're like, hey, Moses, next time when God needs to tell you something, uh, could you just get him to tell you and then you tell us because like, I think I peed my pants. Like this is, it scared me. I mean, I'm terrified. And so God actually speaks to the people and I can just imagine that it was like both terrifying yet somehow soothing. Both too loud to comprehend yet somehow audible. Do my best to set this scene up for you so that when we read in just a second, Exodus chapter 20 starting in verse 1 that you'll see this is the word of God. It's not debatable. It's not something that we can like be upset about. It's God speaking. And if we were there in that presence, I think that we would take it way more seriously. At least that was my conviction this week as I read it. All right, so let's read it. This is Exodus. Now we're in chapter 20, which is where the Ten Commandments are. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall make, not make for yourself any image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth, beneath it, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And I punish the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters nor your male or female servants nor your animals or your foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, 
The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Five, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's the Ten Commandments. I don't know how many times you've stopped to read them. Um, it's interesting to see God's perspective. And what I want to do, there's ten of them, and honestly, like, to try to cram all ten into one talk is like, come on, man. <laughs> You're trying to get too much in. And so I really wrestled with these, and we thought about spreading them out for several weeks and how we're going to do it. Um, but what I decided to do, and for very good reason, I think, is to divide this up. And we're actually going to cover just the first four today. Just the four, first four today, because next week we'll deal with the next uh, six, the last six. And the very breakdown is very intentional. And it's actually something that I see Jesus doing as he kind of talks about the law and as he describes what God wants from us. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take a pause on the Moses story real quick. And I want to jump in like a time machine. And we're going to fast forward history about 1,500 years. Okay, because like 1,500 years after this moment with Moses, Jesus is on the earth. And Jesus is talking about all the things God desires from us. And he spent some time talking about the law, which is what they called this and a lot of other rules that, God, that Moses helped uh, establish with God. And so there's all these things. And Jesus is talking about this. And so uh, let me give you the, the history lesson from day one where Moses is to day 1,500 years later where Jesus is. This is kind of what happens. First of all, the nation of Israel is, is going to go through a lot. It's going to grow. It's going to be in some serious battles with some neighboring countries and eventually they're going to establish in this land in and around the city of Jerusalem and they're there for a couple hundred years and while they're there the guide of their uh, the guide of their community of their society is Moses's law Everything that God shows Moses here in, in both in Exodus and in Leviticus, and it's talked about in Deuteronomy, which are these three books that are all back-to-back -back there in the Old Testament, those law are what just guides the Jewish people for those hundreds of years. But then something happens. They turn their back completely on God. God gives them a second chance, a third chance, a 50th chance, a 100th chance, and he's like, finally, I need to teach you a lesson. And so then he allows the, the Israelites, the Jews, to be captured and taken into exile. So this, this group called the Assyrians comes in, and they just kind of wreck shop, and then the Babylonians take over the Assyrians, and world history happens. And before you know it, a whole generation of Jewish people end up living in exile. So now we're like a 1,000 years removed from Moses, and then they eventually get back over into Jerusalem, and they, they reestablish, okay, we need to get back into the law. We need to figure out what Moses was trying to teach us from God. And they, they kind of clean things up. And 1,500 years later, we find Jesus. 1,500 years later, there's all these people going, what is it that God really meant when he said this? And you've got legal professionals. Their job is to interpret the law and teach it to the people. And so they're going back and forth and saying, well, I think he meant this, and I think he meant that. Does that sound familiar, America, right? <laughs> like, uh, what does it mean when the Constitution says this, or a law says this or that? And so uh, the farther you get from the intended written purpose of a law, the harder it is to interpret because things change, and culture changes, and people change. And it's 1,500 years later, and it's kind of cool because when Jesus hits the scene, by the way, the Bible teaches that Jesus is God in the flesh, and that God had a plan to reunite mankind with, human be with, mankind with himself, and he did that by coming down in human form to show them the way. And so Jesus is there, and he's teaching, he's kind of saying that about himself. 
Meanwhile, people are blown away. He's doing miracles. It's like, this clearly, this guy's from God. Something's happening. They say, he teaches like no one else. And so these legal professionals get together, and they're like, all right, Jesus, Jesus seems to have this law thing figured out, so let's just ask him. <laughs> so this is actually going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, if you want to jot it down. But uh, these leaders go to Jesus in Matthew 22, and they say, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? They just want to know. Like, you just tell us. Like, there's, we can't tell what's more important. What's the dumb rule? Which rule can we bend? Which one do we have to keep strictly? Like, which one is it? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus always goes above and beyond. So he's like, I got you the best one, but I'm going to give you the, the second one, which is equally as good. He said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And look at this, this verse 40. It says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. Jesus, what is the most important commandment? All these commandments. And by the way, there's like hundreds and hundreds of specific little rules and policies and procedures that the Jews first are given by Moses. And then they just kind of expand on all those things. And they get all over the place. And then by the time Jesus hits the ground, there are just an uncountable number of rules. And people have really lost sight of what is most important. And Jesus says, let me just, let me just summarize it for you. Love God. And love people. All of the laws and prophets hang on these two. The Ten Commandments can be broken into the same two categories. Love God. Love people. But I love that it even gets simpler than that. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's just one of Jesus' uh, biggest uh, missionaries in the early years of the church in the first century. And he writes to the church that was in Rome, in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. He simplifies it even more. He says, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Jesus boils it down to two like phrases, and Paul's like, look, man, I, I, if you want to know what those phrases are all about, let's at least remember one word. What's that word? Love. It's too, it's too easy, right? Surely, surely God would like need more words than that, right? But guys, love is hard. Love hurts. And all the other love songs. When God looked down on us, he's like, look, the thing you're going to need the most is the thing that I am made of, love. And if you want to know me, you need to know love. And then you'll know how to love me and you'll know how to love and people. And so, so in the time we got left, so you might be like, how in the world is he going to get through four commandments? Man, in the time we got left, I want us to understand that our goal in being God chasers. By the way, this uh, phrase that Jesus gives the first commandment is love the Lord your God. Second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we get the phrase God chasing grace shaped love agents. To be a God chaser is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, grace shaped is kind of the Jesus piece because we're not perfect at loving. <laughs> and so there's a lot about grace that we teach about. But then the third part, being a love agent, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we boiled that down. Why? Because Jesus said it was the most important thing. So we need to say it all the time, and we need to live it out all the time. And so we're going to look at the first four things, but this whole focus is how do we be a God chaser? How do we be people who are fully devoted to giving glory to God with our life? The, the first four commandments tell us, and let's just run through them. The first one is this. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. I've kind of summarized this where God's basically saying, I'm God. I must be first. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, God is, he says it in the next commandment, he's a jealous God. 
He doesn't want to be second. He doesn't want to be third. I've been happily married for almost 15 years now. And, but how would it look for me to go home to my wife, Lindsay, and say, hey, babe, listen, you got it going on. we got a good thing going here. But listen, I'm just not going to have time, really, for you right now. You're still really important to me. But there's this other thing I've got to devote my life to right now. And, like, if, I mean... I'm not really, I'll get back to you when, when things clear up, like when my schedule clears up, like if, if like there's a convenient time on during the week when we can get together, like whatever, like if there's someone that can watch our kids, like whatever, like we, maybe we can connect. But right now I got some other things I got to deal with. And like I go ahead and book my tickets to like couch town for the night, right? Because that's, that's not going to fly, right? Spouses, you, no, your spouse needs to know they're number one. Nobody else is, is even close, <laughs> The thing about God is he's like, look, I want to be even above the way you love your spouse. I am number one. I am number one. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other thing before me. I am God. Jesus puts it this way. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all the other things that you need, they'll be given to you if you need them. God will take care of that. How do we love God? We put him first. I wish I could spend like 30 more minutes on that, but I can't. The second thing, second commandment says this, you shall, make for your, you shall not make for yourself an image of in the form of anything. I butchered that. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. And it goes on and on and talks lots of specifics. You can read it again for yourself. Uh, I summarize it to this, no idolatry. I, I, idolatry, I mean, you might picture like people who have little statues on their mantelpieces and they're worshiping that, and that's part of that. But the real big thing about adultery to understand is it, is, it was a culture uh, to the ancient people. And so like idol, idolatry, the, the, the gods and goddesses that ran your city and your home and your family and everything, they were everything. And so it wasn't just having a little idol in your house. They would worship one of two things. The one thing they would worship is just an inanimate object. And so oftentimes there would be like really no power behind it. They just, they got superstitious about this. I literally visited a village in uh, Togo in West Africa, and there was this pine cone wrapped in straw that had held to keep people captive for like generations. They, they sacrificed chickens to this thing. They would pray to it. it I'm, I looked at it. I'm like, has anybody told them it's just a pine cone? But a long time ago, someone decided this was their God, this was what they were going to worship. It was really, I mean, I don't, it's strange, isn't it? In our culture, if we grew up in that, we might not feel like it was so strange. That's the one thing they would worship. But the other thing, this is way more serious, is that there would be demonic powers. Listen, Jesus is very clear, the Bible is very clear, there are lots of powers in this world. And a lot of them are evil and they're out to get us. And so more often than not, the gods that you'll read about in the Old Testament, Baal and Molech and some of these vile creatures that would require, uh, you know, temple prostitution and, and ritual human sacrifice, like these things, these, these were powerful demonic beings. And they manifest to the people through these statues. And so, you know, by giving glory to that thing, I'm giving glory to this demonic thing. But either way, God says, don't make a graven image. Don't, don't try to fabricate some kind of thing, first of all, to... Uh, to show the divine. You can't do it. I don't care how good a painter you are, how good a sculptor you are. It's dangerous to mess around in the spiritual realm. You don't even know what you're dealing with. And you might say, well, how is that different than the first commandment? You should have no other gods before me. Don't practice idolatry. And the first thing is putting other stuff in front of God is one thing. But then recognizing that as God is a whole different thing. So he wants to make it very clear. I am God. I expect to be first and don't even try to fabricate an image of me or any other kind of spiritual being because you don't even know what you're messing with. How do we love God? 
We put him first. And we don't worship anything else. Thirdly, he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Do not misuse the name of God. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Um, the name of God is, oh, it's powerful. It is so powerful. I mean, just a small little microcosm illustration for that. Let's say, uh, let's say I got a buddy named Gary who owns a restaurant, okay? And I, and I go to Gary's restaurant, and I know Gary, and we're buddies, and we're boys, and so his name has power in his restaurant, right? So I could do something pretty powerful with his name. I could walk up to one of his employees. Let's say I got a waiter, and I'm like, hey, man, yeah, Gary said you need to go clean the bathrooms right now or you're fired. And now this waiter's got a choice to make, right? <laughs> he got a choice to make. Now, what would be even funnier is if, like, I didn't actually know Gary. That would be pretty funny, too. You could just go around and mess with people. But the name carries authority. And so this is the time where a lot of time in church and a preacher will get on stage and they'll say, what this commandment means is you should not say God's name. For instance, don't say, oh, my God, or I swear to God. And Granted, that is very true. That, that, is, that is just a flippant use of a powerful name, and we shouldn't do it. And it's something our culture takes. It's a meme, you know, really. OMG, like, wow. Um, but I meant goodness. Um, you know, it's like there's this thing of, of, like, just throwing God's powerful name around and, like, don't touch fire. It's really, it burns. The other thing about that, though, is that the, the commandment is don't misuse his name. And I think what we've done is we've, we've done what the ancient uh, Jews did is we, we've gotten scared of it, if, especially in mainstream evangelical Christian. We got scared of it, and we don't even want to use it. But you know what? The powerful name of God is something. He doesn't want us to not talk about him. He doesn't want us to, like, suppress his name. He wants us to properly use his name. How do we love God? Again, let's spend 30 minutes on this another day. But how can we properly use the name of God? Oh, man, how about going to him in prayer? Father God, provide for my needs. Take care of my family. Help me with this addiction. Help me with this pain. Help me with this loss. Properly use God's name. Powerfully use God's name. Go to some people and be like, hey, can I just, it might be awkward. I'm sorry, but can I tell you what God's done in my life? Wow, it's just helped me. It's changed me. God's power. Don't misuse the name of God. If you don't love him, love his name. Wear it well. Present it well, use it powerfully, but not unnecessarily. Love his name. There's a fourth thing that we can learn about this loving God thing, and it's the fourth commandment. Honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? Well, the Jews called, uh, I'm going to give this super, this is like the surface level thing about Sabbath because it's, it's, it's all basically the, the gist of it. Their Saturday was their day that they chose to worship. The word Sabbath means like, Kind of, kind of loosely translated, just means like take a stop. Like, oh, that's what Sabbath means. But like on Saturday, you just kind of, you kind of chill. That's why there's college football on Saturday. Like, so it's like it's, it's a day to chill. We're gonna hang out. And so for the Jews, this idea of Sabbath was huge because in this commandment, God says, "I want you to take one whole day out of your week to remember me, to remember my promise, to remember my covenant." I want you to know who I am, and I want you to take time. Remember last week's lesson, if you were here, I know a lot of you weren't, but man, last week, uh, how quickly the Jews forgot about God's blessings. They just forget. I know I'm guilty of this. They just forget what God's done in the past. And so God knows that about us. He says, I want you to practice remembering. Take a whole day. And there's two parts of Sabbath. There's worship and there's rest. 
the ancient Jews were so serious about this that they wouldn't even like walk uh, more than like a tenth of a mile. They wouldn't let people carry stuff. You couldn't like, I wouldn't be able to mow my grass on the Sabbath because it just, you just need to stop. And in our culture, we, we fabricated this 40-hour work week that we have to work in 80 hours. And we have this thing where our kids have to play 19 different sports, and we have to be so busy. And then, not to mention, I've, I've like DVR'd 14 shows, and the new, ep- the new season of whatever came out on Netflix. I mean, i got to pack it all in. We do not rest. That's why there are so many stinking mental disorders in our society. That's why there's so many uh, bad communications in our, in our marriages. That's why the, you know, people's families are falling apart because we're just not taking the time that God programmed us to have for rest, I recognize there's lots of other reasons for those other things too. But we've got to rest. God programmed us to rest. God took a day to rest after creating the universe. And he commands it here. God's asking us to take a whole day. Now, the early Christians, um, they were Jews, remember, and so they, they lived by the Sabbath law. But uh, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, they said, you know what? This covenant that we're remembering on the Sabbath, it's a pretty big deal. Covenant means promise. Another word that can also be kind of translated and used is the word testament, like a testimony, like I was witness of this. And so notice that because we have the New Testament and the Old Testament. You could also call them the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. And so the Old Covenant is this whole law-based system. And then when Jesus raises from the dead and he gives us the opportunity to connect with God through his grace, the early Christians were like, he raised on a Sunday. Let's celebrate our Sabbath on Sunday. And so that's why we gather here on Sundays. But I got to be honest, sometimes it's hard for me to take an hour out of my Sunday and focus on worship. I preach about 35 minutes a week, and sometimes it's hard for me to focus for that 35 minutes. Because I'm like, hey, did I say everything right? Am I going to get it in? What time is it? Oh, shoot, the kids are getting restless in the back. I got to get done. Like, stop. If we want to love God, we got to make time for him. And so maybe you work on Sundays or maybe your schedule is crazy. The law doesn't say it has to be on Saturday. That's just how the Jews did it. When is your day off? Can you get in a few hours by getting it in in the mornings before work and after work? If we want to love God, we've got to take time to spend with him. And that's the Sabbath. That's the first four commandments, actually. Um, It kind of flew by. I think it took longer than I realized. Amen. As I look at those four four commandments, I ask myself, how can I be a God chaser? How can I love God with my life? Put him first. Don't worship anything else as God. Don't misuse his name and maybe implied in that is like use it properly. And take time for worship and rest because he wants that from us. And right here, I got to kind of stop. Remember those, uh, I remember I used to get home uh, from school in the afternoons. I'd be watching some awesome show. And all of a sudden, on the, across the screen, it would be like, to be continued. And I'd be like, no, I got to wait till 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tomorrow to see what happens. And we're going to pause the Ten Commandments right there, to be continued. But we're not done, because there's this thought that just has to be said. And it happens in the form for me of a confession. Confession is good for the heart. It's not comfortable. But these Ten Commandments, they're laws. And if this is how we're supposed to love God, I've got a confession I stink at it. I don't always put God first. I sometimes treat other things the way I should treat God. You know, one thing that's easy to worship is church. Like we treat this service like it is God. Oh, man, love to give me love. Aaron and the band, you guys, man, you just, I love it, I love it, I love it. But then it gets so stuck into this moment, or maybe it's your small group, or maybe it's like whatever it is, and, like it's, and, it's, and it becomes an idol, actually. 
And God's like, no, 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 that's not who I am. That's not what I look like. That's not what I sound like. You're here to worship me. So it's for me, it's like sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes I misuse his name. In fact, I've misused it more times than I care to count. And there have been times when I could have used it powerfully, but I didn't. And I don't honor the Sabbath like I should. I don't take rest and time for worship like I should. I'm, you know I never am on a pedestal because I fall off real easy. But I know that I'm like a professional Christian, right, in most people's eyes. Like I'm a pastor. So I'm going to guess that it's probably a problem for all of us. Well, we're screwed. No, we're not. Here's the beautiful thing. This is what I want to show us. That the law set up the expectation. It showed us what it means to truly love God. But we're God-chasing, and we're also grace-shaped. And when Jesus came into the world, he came because he knew that the law was not perfect to, to heal us. Why? Because we've got addiction and we've got background and we've got mess and we've got attitude problems and we've got disorders and we've got financial issues and we've got all these things. And God knows that we get distracted by those things and he knows that we don't always bring him glory with our lives. And so he said, the plan is, you need me to come down there and make up the difference. And in a word, it's called grace. And you know what? This is 101 Christianity, but it never gets old. Especially if you happen to have sinned since last time you heard it. And Jesus says, look, no matter where you are, no matter your problems, no matter what it is that you bring to the table, I will forgive that. All I ask is that you do your best to love God and love people. Romans chapter 6 verse 32 tells a roller coaster of a story. It's not on the screen. I want you to hear it. It says, the wages... Of sin is death. Like if we dishonor God and we miss the target for Him, we're separated from Him. But this is a roller coaster verse, man. You're like, oh. But after this comma, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That is the whole message of Jesus in a nutshell. And when you mess up and you miss the law, you miss the rules. You miss the regulation. You can lean on his grace and say, look, I'm doing my best. Will you please make up the rest? Our goal as a church is to be a church that can be accessible to everyone in the city, no matter what they're going through. We say we're church for people who don't like church. Uh, the funny thing is, if you stick around, you might say, I kind of like it. and That's okay. But we want to be a community of people, a family of people who can be filled with grace and that when people see us, they go, man, something's different about you. And, and you say, what is it? And you say, well, it's because I'm doing my best to be a God chaser. I'm making these choices because I want to honor God with my life. Oh, yeah, you're not perfect. Christians are all hypocrites. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but God's grace has covered it. And so if you're here today and you're just trying to figure out what that means, um, I want to invite you to consider looking into this grace we actually don't ask people to come forward and, and make a big public confession. We actually, at first, want to invite you to um, make your way to someone to have a conversation. You can talk to me. My name's Chris, the guy who's standing here holding the guitar. His name's Aaron. You can start with one of us. Uh, in just a moment, there's going to be some guys. Actually, guys, uh, let's meet over this little, this little hallway right here. There's a group of guys that are just spiritual leaders in our church. If you need to talk about that or you need some prayer, uh, in a moment, we're going to have a song, and you can just walk over right down that little hallway, and we can pray with you and talk with you about that. And maybe you need to choose Jesus. And take the grace path. 
And we could set that up. We could, we could talk to you about it. We could read through scripture with you. One of the first things you do is get baptized into Jesus. We could do that. We got the beautiful ocean and the temperature's great. But it begins with understanding the answer to this question. Do you want to be a God chaser? Let's pray. God, I love you. Man, I, Father, I just, I picture that scene on the mountain and how real you must have been for those people and how terrifying it might have been. But Lord, I thank you for the grace that you showed just letting them listen and hear. And I thank you for giving us the expectation so we can know what it means to love you. Father, help us love you with our lives, to put you first, to not make anything else God, to use your name with, with dignity and honor, to take time to worship you, deliberate time to rest and worship you. Lord, I pray that this next song that we're doing, we, we all got places to be. We got to pick up our kids. We got to go eat lunch. We got to uh, zip up our pocketbooks and shuffle in the seats. But Lord, help us just to sit for a minute and just worship and just know that you are God and that you love us. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room today who might just be kind of wrestling with something. Maybe they need that grace, that peace that you bring. I pray that this can be a family that they can find that in. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.